0: This episode of Lady Startup is brought to you by the MYOB and Smiling Mind Small Business Program, partnering to make mental health everyone's business.
1: I'm just getting ready for those years when I don't have any teeth. (laughs) This is not a podcast about the joys of being your own boss. We've had some interesting resignations. I think for a lot of people this has made them evaluate their own lives and their own purpose and getting close back to family or moving back to family.
0: This is a collection of conversations with female founders about the moments that almost finished them, from bushfires to babies, sex
1: scandals to personal crisis. We had no water in the dams and the unrelentless drought. It was a dreadful time.
0: This is a special mini-season of the Lady Startup Podcast. Hosted by me, Mia Friedman. Remember when dogs were dogs? Now they're more like children for a lot of people. They have haircuts and they sleep in nice beds. Some of them even go to doggy daycare. The funnest part of all of what
1: we do is having gorgeous dogs regularly coming into us for entertainment and socialisation.
0: And there's been a big change in the way we treat our pets. Today's guest has built her business on top of that change. Her name is Margie Hennessy and she's the owner of a business called Doge. Until a few years ago, it was comprised of one retail store selling pretty fancy pet accessories. Beautiful upholstered couches from the US that were (laughs)
1: upholstered. Yeah, actually much better than what we would sit on now.
0: But then Margie realised she needed to diversify her business. Today... Dogue is a pet lifestyle brand with 10 Dogue boutiques and grooming salons across New South Wales, Queensland, and Victoria. There's also Dogue Wholesale that produces all kinds of Dogue branded products. And if that wasn't enough, Dogue has also opened the Dogue Country Retreat in the southern highlands of New South Wales, a boutique hotel and day spa for dogs whose owners can't look after them because they've gone away. What's harder to manage, animals or staff?
1: Team members with feisty dogs, the combination can be
0: (laughs) difficult. But the past few years have not been smooth sailing for Doge. In fact, the bushfires of 2019 and early 2020 came incredibly close to their retreat. I started our conversation by asking Margie when she first became aware that she was possibly about to be hit by a firestorm, an actual firestorm, and had to work out how to evacuate 50 dogs in a matter
1: of hours. Well, actually, just being perfectly honest, being in the country, you're aware of bushfires. So we, we, since 2013 or when we were here, we knew there was always an issue and so we always had plans in place. Um, The Green Wattle Creek Fire, uh, which really started around late November, was just to the north of us, just over there, and at times came within 10 kilometres of us over the period that it was burning out of control. We, funnily enough, we opened a store in Melbourne around the 8th of December and then came back from that and then we're in lockdown here. We never left the retreat for another month and a half really because from that point on there was just constant fire danger. So when did it start getting really concerning? Certainly late December, um, there was a catastrophic fire day and the day that we're most worried about was the catastrophic fire day, um, early January, January the 4th, and that was road closures around us at that point. I mean, everybody was experiencing smoke, not just the Southern Highlands everywhere, as you know, so it was just constant smoke and for us, we're at our peak period. We had 50 odd dogs here and we had no water in the dams and as you said, the unrelentless drought, It um, it was a dreadful time.
0: Our dogs came back from the retreat, I think, on January the 4th or maybe January the 3rd. Tell me how you were managing the owners and how you put plans in place to evacuate 50 dogs.
1: Yeah, so interestingly enough, a lot of owners I don't think were so aware of of where the fires were in relation to us. I guess they weren't living the fire app, (laughs) which is what I was doing. Two days, yeah, before Bella and Harry left us, um, really the day before I made a decision to close and evacuate on that Saturday. So we knew we were going into a catastrophic fire situation and to me the most important thing was getting not just all the guests out but all our staff not to be here. So so talk um, me
0: through that day from when you woke up and made that decision.
1: Um, yeah, so every morning you woke up, Back then, you were just looking about where, where were you going to find more places to fill water? What could you do to be more prepared? We'd already organised with seven team members who all very kindly volunteered to take our guests home. Um, I love that you call them guests. Oh, they
0: <laughs> After we were just talking about how
1: it's good for dogs to be
0: dogs, except when they're guests.
1: <laughs> except when they're guests, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so that morning we had a couple of the team members come in and we evacuated the elderly dogs first because we do have a lot of elderly dogs here and any dogs on medication. And they all went with the wonderful tests. So what she did, she put them in her car. Yep. Drive them, them off. in. Her car. I think she had about ten. And, ten dogs um, in her car. Yes. Oh yeah, we in crates and all sorts yeah. of things. So she took the first group and then another group went into barrels. So they're all in town around here. So by eleven thirty the entire retreat was empty. Um, wow. just, just Adrian, my husband and I, our two dogs, the cat, the guinea pigs and the galah, we all moved into the retreat because our plan had always been to stay and defend if we could, but we didn't want to put anyone else at risk. Mm. So once we had everyone else off the property, uh, it, it was such an enormous relief and it was the best decision I've ever made. Tell me uh, what happened in those homes with all those dogs and how were you also
0: dealing with 50 anxious owners who were ringing you and saying, "Um, where's my dog?
1: (laughs) No, the the owners were very good about it and we felt so responsible about the decision. We didn't individually let every owner know. Maybe in hindsight, we could have been more communicative about that, but we only got great feedback from all the owners and they were just only so appreciative. What was really funny for me, so I was, well, not quite that funny, but here we were at the retreat and there was just constant fire warnings going on, fire trucks going back and forth. So we were pretty stressed Mm -hmm. about a possible ember attack. Meanwhile, I'm just getting all these text messages on our messenger group from all the team going, oh my God, I just tried to go to the toilet. There's seven dogs with me. What am I going to do? Another team member, Nikki, said, I'm off the couch. They've all taken over the couch. I'm on the floor. Is this where I'm going to have to sleep? Um, It was just really gorgeous. The whole team and their families just were, well, I mean, they all love dogs, but I don't know if they're expecting that many. But, um, yeah, that that was just the most positive experience. How did the dogs get on with each other? Very well. We're pretty careful about the dogs that we mix we did make one mistake where there was one dog humping excessively, another dog, and we accidentally <laughs> sent them to the same home. So that didn't go down very well at all. Um, but generally speaking, we're on top of those sort of things, and we put them all in like-minded groups and their little pals because a lot of them come here a lot, so they do have mm-hmm. their friends. Uh, yeah, so so that worked really well. And then what I thought was also funny was the next morning, once for us the immediate danger had gone, um, they all started coming back in, dribs and drabs. I've never seen my staff members look so tired. <laughs> and the dogs, it was all like they'd had a big party and uh, they all had hangovers the next day. It was, like news it was extraordinary. Day. Yeah. yeah, it was really like that. I guess it was an unusual environment. It was just like party houses. We'll be back in a
0: moment, but first a word from our sponsors, MYOB and Smiling Mind Small Business Programme. I'm joined by Jane Martino, Smiling Mind founder, mum of three and powerhouse entrepreneur to talk about mental health for small business owners. Jane, over the last few years, there's been a big community push towards removing the stigma around mental health in general. In your opinion, do you think we've made any progress
2: with this? I feel like we've made progress in removing the stigma around the way people talk about mental health. I feel like we've got a long way to go. I do feel, and this is backed up by research again that myab have done, that the bulk of people, I think it's over 70%, wait quite a long time until they actually seek help. Some of them never. And so I think although we've really focused on awareness and making people feel more comfortable and informed about mental health, where we still have to work on is people feeling really comfortable to put up their hand and saying, I- I'm feeling really anxious. And the statistics show it's still one in five of us that experience a mental illness i think we've come a long way in terms of awareness but got a long long way to go in terms of reducing those statistics
0: i've noticed with COVID 19 a lot more people are talking about mental health and particularly anxiety people who've perhaps not experienced anxiety before do you think that more people are talking about it now and that ultimately that will be a good thing
2: I definitely do and I also think that a lot more people are reaching out and using the resources that are there. Between conversations I've had with Beyond Blue to even data we have ourselves at Smiling Mind, you know, it's 110% up week upon week in terms of the downloads we've had since lockdown. So we certainly know that not only are people talking about how they're feeling, they're actually reaching out to the organisations that are there to help them and using the resources. And that, to me, is the best sign that we are actually going to start having some impact on some of these mental health statistics.
0: That was Jane Martino, founder of the Smiling Mind app. You'll hear more from Jane again next week when we discuss how to manage stress as a small business owner. Let's make mental health everyone's business. Try the free small business program under the At Work section in the Smiling Mind app today. And just when you thought 2020 might calm down, when did you first get a sniff that, you know, a global pandemic might cause some problems for your business?
1: Um, we were pretty early warned because we produced, so our dope design business, which is our manufacturing business, late December, January, we started having production stopped in China and we had some pretty big orders that we were waiting for. So they, Chinese factories were closing down. So that was all happening at the same time as the bushfires. I mean, of course we didn't have an insight, that it was then going to hit the rest of the world like it did, but we were already cancelling new product ranges. We were having a lot of difficulty and the Australian dollar was impacted. So Dog design business was impacted very early.
0: And what, what did you do about that? How do you deal
1: with that from a business point of view? Well, we really just had to sit back and, and look at not getting those ranges in. So we haven't gone with a whole lot of new products. We've had to... So revitalize. like leashes and collars and clothes? Um, jumpers mainly. Yeah, jumpers. we would bring a new range of jumpers in. We've cancelled that and we cancelled also our new bed range. Sorry, when I say cancelled, delayed. So they'll be coming in later in the year, but the jumper range won't be coming in for another year.
0: And had you paid for all of those already? We had put deposits down,
1: so they'll be held, but mostly, no, we hadn't gone ahead with the full order.
0: You had a glimpse that the world was possibly going to change as your first part of the business became affected. How then did it unfold and did you have like a crisis meeting saying, okay,
1: here's what could happen next, here, let's put plans in place... Yeah, I guess like a lot of Australian businesses, around sort of early March, I guess I think it was March about March 10th is when we started getting you know social distancing, hygiene, you've got to do all of these things. So that started coming in, and it was really those first two weeks that were, uh, again, probably for so many businesses, really stressful because we didn't know where we sat. Mm. We we did have a COVID 19 response action plan, which really helped us. Um, How did you formulate that? Oh, I surfed on the net. Did you just download it? If you know some good management consulting companies, they will come up with some very good risk management strategies. And what kind of things were in it? Well, first and foremost, communicate, communicate, communicate. So we broke everything down via team members, customers, franchise owners. and I think that was it. So all the different (laughs) stakeholders and who needed to know what. Yeah, yeah, suppliers, um, all of those things. The the plan was really comprehensive. That was part of the, um, sorry, focus. The other really important part of it was get on top of information and talk to everybody you can, whether it's your landlords, your banks, as soon as possible. So we were really strong on that. And we saw some really good external resources just to keep us briefed every day, well, me especially, about what was going on. Which because ones did it was, you use? I have a little crush on a fellow called Ed Mallet from EmployShore he's become quite well known throughout this so that's an employment uh, company and they they help advise employers with any employee type issues they were fantastic they did daily briefings because it's it,
0: as a business owner i know that you know in those in those early weeks of march and even into april as the owner you feel such anxiety but your staff are needing massive amounts of reassurance how did you handle that communication with staff um
1: look, i think the best way for me, was to just not be that phased. I really did keep my cool. Coming from a project management background too, you just got to get into solution and decision-making and be interesting to ask my team, but I think that's what they saw the most. And we did do lots of communication and we made sure our managers were communicating to our team. One of the best things I did, which I I didn't follow up on, was do a video message to all my team. And that went down very well. But I I think like lots of um, businesses... We've had some interesting resignations and just when you think people were really just wanting to hold on to roles, I think for a lot of people, this has made them evaluate their own lives Mm -hmm. and their own purpose and getting close back to family or moving back to family. So interestingly enough, yeah, we've been impacted um, more by some resignations than redundancies or anything else at this stage. That's
0: so interesting. And have you found that it was difficult to balance that desire for transparency without often just not having the
1: answers? Um, by exactly what you said, being transparent by not having the answers. You know, I, I guess letting them know that as soon as we do, we would. And now job keepers is an immense thing for our business and for so many businesses, and that's really going to allow us to keep a good portion of our staff. Hopefully things turn around.
0: Do you remember the then, darkest day
1: during COVID or your darkest um, moments? Darkest moments were definitely, and speaking to a couple of our franchisees about whether we should be open or not, so that whole confusion around essential, non-essential, all that sort of aspect of the communication from government was very confusing because they never really defined it. So we were definitely a business that was told that you didn't have to close, if you know what I mean. We Not that we were directly told, but there was nothing that said that we should close. But we had this whole conflict between... Well, many of our staff being told to stay home, people stay home, don't go out. And then yet our grooming and our retail businesses were still open and actually reasonably busy. That was, to me, the most stressful because I just didn't know what was really responsible. And I know our team members really uh, appreciated that we did stay open. I mean, so are our customers, interestingly enough. How did you make the decision in the end? I didn't really, to be honest. (laughs) It kept sort of panning out, and so we started to get more advice. You'd have to sort of delve deeply on the government websites, but you'd find that pet shops were allowed to be open because they were providing food and and there were other definitions that um, services to pets were always also be able to open, vets obviously.
0: Was there a moment that you thought, I think we're going to be okay,
1: or has that moment not come yet? For parts of our business, so coming back to being diversified, um, you know, we have one store that's been closed for a month. That's the new store down in Melbourne, Um. I worry about that store and its future, definitely. Uh, the retreat at the moment, we haven't had boarding dogs now for three or four weeks. And, you know, different parts of the business fund other parts of the business. So if the retreat's not doing well, then that puts a lot of pressure on our other parts of the business. So I think the stores are resilient. I'm really pleased with the franchise network and I think they'll all come out fine. And of course, then we'll have all these additional dogs with separation anxiety we need to help. <laughs> it's definitely a time for us to reevaluate what we're doing and and try, I think, get back to what we love doing, which is, you know, providing great service for dogs and their owners.
0: We can't wait to send our dogs back for a groom because we tried to clip their toenails and we saw something (laughs) on TikTok where you smear peanut butter on your forehead and the dog gets like, you put the oh, dog yes, on a I table too. Yeah. and it tries to lick the peanut butter and while it's distracted you clip its nails but it didn't work for us. You'll be very surprised to hear. So we're <laughs> going to go back and leave it to the experts, I think. Margs, um, yes. just to finish up, what is the biggest lesson that you reckon you've learned either from setbacks or failures or challenges in your business life?
1: Um, I think coming back to the bushfire scenario was a really important one. So I, I mentioned to you that we always had a fire plan in place We even went through great stages of piling dogs into trailers and things and getting them to have a lot of fun so that if we had to evacuate, you know, it could be quick. But what ended up happening is we were fortunate in that there were a few fires closer to us, small bushfires, that we had to react to. And they were the first times we really, really tested our plan. And they Mm. showed up quite a lot of shortcomings. Just things we hadn't thought about, like lists of the dogs, current dogs and where they're actually going to go and who is responsible for various parts of the plan. So I think my biggest lesson is you want to practice your emergency or risk management as much as you can. So when you get into a crisis, you're making as few decisions as you can. You're always going to have to make decisions, right, because the wind's changed or a staff member hasn't been able to get to work because of fires. But that was my big thing. And then by the time we evacuated, we had actually really, really practised. So that would be, that's pro- and that's probably a bit similar for COVID-19 because the bushfires really prepared us for COVID-19.
0: In what way? Just expect the unexpected and be prepared. Yeah. But how can, oh, yeah. like, who knew we were going to have a global pandemic? No,
1: not, not specifically for that, just but, as you mentioned, um, being on a high alert for such a long time through the bushfires mm. has meant that stepping into this unprecedented situation, you're just more resilient, you're more ready for it.
0: Well, I hope you have a quiet, a quieter rest of the year than you've had so far in this first <laughs> I hope half. We all do. I
1: yeah.
0: hope we all do. <laughs> Thanks, Margs. That's amazing. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye, Bella. Bye, Harry.
0: Hope you enjoyed that. Here are my top three takeaways from that conversation with Margie. Number one. Diversification can be incredibly helpful for your business, especially in times of crisis like COVID-19. So many people have had to dial down one part of their business while relying or perhaps developing a whole new part. And by doing this, it means parts of your business are able to support other parts of your business. So when things are soft in one area, you can supplement your income with revenue from another. However, it can be really difficult to do properly and you can find yourself stretched too thin. So hiring the right people is absolutely key. The second thing I took away from Margie is about keeping your cool through times of crisis. I loved the way she spoke about seeking out information and keeping communication open across all channels and with all stakeholders. Remember, as a business owner, your stakeholders aren't just your customers. They're also, in many cases, your staff and often also your suppliers. So you've got to think about different communication messages, not just in a crisis, but all the time with all of those different stakeholders. And the third thing I learned was be clear about your crisis plan. Now, a crisis can hit anyone in any business and in fact in life. And one thing that you can know for sure about business is that at some stage, shit is going to go down. Not all emergencies are foreseeable. And for example, none of us saw a global pandemic coming. So at the first sign of a crisis, you really need to be firstly scanning the horizon to sort of see what's oncoming so you've got as much warning as possible. But then you really need to, preferably before there is even a crisis, take the time to plan how you'll respond and practice your response. We've learnt this the hard way at Mayor when we've been hit by different types of crises and we've realised, oh my God, we never saw this coming. And often you don't realise the size of a crisis until you're in the middle of it. So it can be really helpful to think about, okay, what are all the things that could possibly go wrong? At Mamma Mia, it was interesting uh, when we were looking at signing a new lease at the end of 2019. One of the clauses in the lease that we were quibbling with our landlords about was what might happen if the sewerage system broke down or the air conditioning went out. And Jace, my husband and co-founder and I, had to say, well, what would we do if we had to say to everyone, you can't come to work, the office is closed? And it's so funny to think about that now that he was like, well, we couldn't possibly cope with that. And I was like, babe, that would be such an adventure. If everyone had to work from home, we'd handle it. And I bloody should have touched wood because within a few months, we literally had to send our whole team of almost 100 people home to work for Well, we're still there now as I'm recording this. We're still here now as so many people are because of COVID. So sometimes thinking about all those worst-case scenarios are really helpful in preparing you, even if it's just psychologically, for what might happen. Now, Margie and Doge's story is a great one for highlighting the power of diversification and how keeping the diversity tight within a niche is really key. She didn't branch out into other markets, so she didn't look into birds, for example, or cats, but rather she really fully penetrated the depth of the dog lifestyle market by offering this kind of 360 degree experience, everything from collars and leads to beds, dog clothing, daycare, grooming, and then the country retreat. Something else to know about Dog is that since COVID, they've actually launched their Aussie Made campaign. Margie was telling me after we finished that interview during these really tough times, Doge is really motivated to give back as well. They want to produce locally. So Doge's leather collars and leads have been made by Australian artisans, a factory in Melbourne, for oh, more than a decade. But they're now looking to partner with Australian manufacturers to help create bedding and blankets and apparel as well as treat ranges and even beauty ranges for dogs. So DOG are inviting all Aussie manufacturers who produce goods in these areas and who might be interested in picking up some more business to complete an expression of interest. We'll pop the link in the show notes that will show you all about that. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about Margie and DOG or the retreat, we will pop all the links into the show notes. And if you know that you want to start your own business – perhaps you have an idea, or perhaps it's just a dream at this point, I would encourage you to join the waitlist for our flagship program for Lady Startup's The Activation Plan. We're opening the doors again soon, and this program is designed to take you from zero to launching your own business, even if you haven't got an idea, in just six weeks. Join us now at ladystartup.com. This episode of Lady Startup was brought to you by the MYOB and Smiling Mind Small Business Program, with mindfulness meditations for navigating stress, building resilience, and finding balance. It's here to help business owners thrive. So let's make mental health everyone's business. Try the free small business program under the At Work section in the Smiling Mind app today. And breathe.